electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Stocks do look to extend the rally to a fourth day today as mega cap tech lends a hand on Alphabet and AMD's results. We've got our first decline in ADP employment in over a year, down 300K. And a big hour on tap. We've got the CEOs of GM, AMD, and Starbucks this morning. We're going to jump right in, though, to Alphabet. Jim, you've been talking about the juggernaut business model. We got the split. We got a mixed shelf. There's just a lot of news around the company. Yeah, today. Uh, just to, on the split first, I want to say that that is a, a, an incredibly shareholder-friendly move. It does not create any value. But they were acutely aware that there were a lot of younger people that really wanted to be part of the stock. Now, you can go to Robinhood and say, I want $800 for the Google, and that's been very successful. But this is the kind of move that I think others are going to take, take and say, you know, we've got to get retail back. The people who do this get are, are, they know the product. They love it. Now, YouTube was fantastic. Uh, Google Cloud's still losing money, but it's great. David, when you buy back $50 billion, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, oh, yeah, we bought back $50 billion. I mean, that's like all the stock that was yeah. issued. But the most important number here, I think, besides the deep mine protein folding alpha sold system that they're using on their algorithm, yes, is course. that YouTube versus Netflix. Yes. One pays for content, the other you pay them. It's a good business model. And uh, YouTube has $8.6 billion yeah, in revenue. revenue, in revenue. Netflix has... Yeah, not dissimilar right. uh, for the quarter and for yeah. the full year. Although YouTube did come in a little lighter than a- analyst estimates. Right, that's true. It was all re- search. All yeah, search. they didn't really search. give us any feel on the call as to why they may have missed perhaps some what the analysts were estimating on YouTube. But overall, you pointed it out. I it think in talking to people this morning, Jim, the stock seems to be up as much, if not more, because of the stock split oh, no, than anything else. Not right. that the numbers were bad. They weren't. So they were listen, strong. Huh? Right. And by the way, as you pointed out many times, this is a company that trades at a multiple that is lower than so the markets. Uh, you know, you're talking 21, let's call it, billion dollars in operating income this quarter. Just take a look at that over the course of the next year and what that's going to mean for it's Google incredible. and put a multiple on it. Yeah, it you, is David, incredibly impressive. In their 8K in January 4th of 2022, yeah. they created a system which uh, their comp is directly related to the top five. To the stock price, so that was very good. Uh, operating reason to split operating it up. expenses were up 35 percent, yes. 20.5 billion. So there wasn't any real operating leverage, or it wasn't great. Let's uh, uh, in terms of an improvement, right. they did add 6,500 employees during the quarter, and that they were criticized for that. Yeah, someone said, "Well, listen, you added a lot, and you know, costs are going up." What I thought was really extraordinary, Carl. There's like this great moment. <laughs> they said, yeah, we see we want really good people. <laughs> They're not sitting there worried about head counts. They're worried about cranial power. Mensa. They should change the symbol to Mensa. You know, like Meta, Mensa. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, we got more firms sort of trying to value YouTube as a standalone, what that would mean, some of the parts. We're going to get to all of that. Break it up. Um, but the hour's crowded this morning. GM's among the companies beating, beating on the bottom line. Stock's higher in the pre-market. Our Phil Abo joins us this morning with a very special guest in the house. Hey, Phil. 
Hey, Carl, literally in the house. Let's uh, have Mary Barra, chairman and CEO of General Motors, join us. She's there at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Mary, let's talk about uh, what you guys reported yesterday. We mentioned that you guys uh, had a better than expected profit for the fourth quarter, but I'm more interested in your outlook for 2022. Let's start first off with the existing business in terms of your production of uh, vehicles, internal combustion engine vehicles. How do you expect the supply to improve this year? And what's your forecast when it comes to getting more chips so that you can increase the number of vehicles you're building and selling? Well, uh, Phil, first of all, it's great to be here. And thanks so much for the opportunity. I, I do want to start by thanking the entire GM team for all of their hard work last year to deliver record earnings. And as we look to 2022, we see uh, performance that will be, again, at record or near record levels while we continue to grow the business. Uh, from a semiconductor perspective, you know, we were hit pretty hard last year, especially in the third quarter. But, and we see globally about a 25 to 30 percent improvement from an overall units to produce perspective. So uh, that's what we know uh, right now. We've been working very closely with all the semiconductor manufacturers and the tier ones. And that's uh, that's our outlook uh, as we move forward. And we've seen Q1 be stronger than Q4. And, and we're going to uh, also, we believe that by the second half of the year, we're going to be close to back to normal. Let's talk about your uh, outlook when it comes to electric vehicles. You've already allocated or, or plan to spend $35 billion through 2025. But yesterday you said, look, we are going to increase that amount and we're going to accelerate it. We're going to pull forward plans for adding another dedicated pickup truck plant, electric pickup truck plant, as well as make plans for a fourth battery plant. How much more do you plan to spend and how quickly? Can you quantify that for us? Well, we're still working on all the specific details and, you know, very shortly we'll up the $35 billion number. But, you know, we're pulling ahead uh, not only programs, but as you said, additional capacity. You know, we made a big announcement in Michigan, $7 billion, our largest investment, single investment um, in our history. And we see more opportunity. Uh, you know, when you look at the strength of our EV products, we already have 59,000 reservations for the Hummer uh, truck and SUV. We have over 110,000 reservations from both retail and fleet customers for the Silverado E. 25,000 uh, reservations for the uh, e, um, uh, bright drop uh, cargo van. So we see really strong demand for our products and we still have very important products to come out. We're, we're less than 60 days away from launching Lyric into market. And that's why we're gonna go right to orders once we get through that first edition. So we're, with the response we're seeing, we know we need to accelerate. And, and that's why you know, we're saying between 22 and 23, we plan on uh, building uh, 400,000 EVs. So a significant ramp, and then it just it's a steeper ramp from there. Let's talk about one of those models that you have not officially announced, but you alluded to it yesterday, the fact that you believe that you will ultimately sell a more affordable EV than the Chevy Equinox, which you guys have already said, look, that's going to come in at around $30,000 uh, base model price. Can you sell a $25,000 EV? And is, is that in the cards, let's say, over the next couple of years? Well, we plan on launching the Chevrolet Equinox EV uh, next year, along with a Blazer. So as we move forward, we are already working on one that will be even more affordable. Because when you look at really getting to 2030 and having you know 50% of our sales be electric vehicles, you've got to reach the segments where the customers are and, and, and make sure they're, they have interest in EVs. And that's one of the benefits of General Motors. When you look at the scale of the Ultium platform, we can do a broad portfolio to get to, you know, 
really high EV volume in the next handful of years. So I'm really excited about the plan that we have coming. Well, Mary, I'm excited about seeing you later this evening. But first, let's uh, talk about something that we're going to be talking about tonight with uh, one of your executives, autonomous driving. I think I'd like very much to own a Cadillac Cruise that could go around town with me not having to drive it. I know you're talking at CES that it could be mid-decade. Is there any way we could accelerate that? Because in that speech, Mary, it looked like it's ready to run. Well, you know, we are so pleased with how the, the technology is progressing progressing with Calvode and his leadership team. Uh, you know, we just announced yesterday that we're uh, inviting the public to get on a wait list to start taking rides. I did just a couple weeks ago. And, you know, you watch the video and it, it looks, um, you know, very reasonable. But the experience is just incredible. Uh, the technology is so confident and, you know, a couple minutes in, you forget that you're an autonomous vehicle and you're just on a very smooth ride. So, you know, we're working together with Cruise and we think having personal autonomous vehicles as early as mid-decade is definitely in the cards and it will change the way people move. All right. So Mary, in the conference call, there were some questions about the number, uh, whether you have too many different models. Uh, and you mentioned some are going to be 100,000. So why would you ever preclude that? Uh, Silverado, where are we right now with orders for what is a pretty exciting EV? Yeah, so we are, uh, with just a few weeks in since we announced it, we have over 110,000 orders, and that continues to grow every day. So the interest is very strong. And, and remember what we said at CES, you know, this is the first couple versions, but we have more variants. When you look at the whole truck market, which is just growing every year, you have to meet the customer where they're at, either high value or high feature. And we're going to have a full portfolio of trucks as well as crossovers and SUVs. Mary, it's David Faber. Uh, you know, incredible ambitions for the company. I mean, increasing your production, talking about crews and autonomous. I just wonder, uh, in addition to obviously the increased capital allocation, do you have enough people? Do you have all the plans in place to be able to fully execute the vision that you have right now? And what gives you the confidence that you'll be able to? Well, last year we added an additional 8,000 technical resources. And so, you know, when we uh, announced that we want to be carbon neutral by 2040 and we plan to have all uh, vehicles, light duty vehicles, be EV by 2035, as well as what's happening at Cruise, which is really changing the way people move, people want to come to General Motors. We actually saw uh, an increase in people submitting their, their applications. So I am very confident that we've got great talent on the field today and we'll have more. We plan on doing significant hiring again this year, but uh, the talent is definitely there. And, and again, we're hiring from all over the country and frankly, the world. Mary, it's Phil again. You're expecting, and you outlined this yesterday, a $2.5 billion increase in commodity costs, most of that in the first half of this year. Uh, clearly, we are seeing inflation. You're dealing with inflation. How confident are you that it moderates or at least the impact is the first half of the year and then the second half of the year, you, you might see things improve a little bit in terms of those commodity costs? Well, as you know, with uh, the volatility that's in the supply chain and, and, and really with raw materials, uh, it's hard to predict where it's going to be in the second half of the year. What we see in this first half is real. But we still think we're going to have very strong demand, even with these challenges, because we've got pent up demand for our vehicles. And from an ICE perspective, you know, we have uh, an updated uh, both uh, Sierra and Silverado coming out that has better fuel economy. So uh, the demand that we have for GM products gives us confidence that we're going to have a strong year, even from a price perspective and be able to, uh, uh, you know, offset the commodity challenges that we have. 
quickly, Mary, because we're running up against the uh, end of the interview. Uh, what are we looking at for the industry in terms of annual sales this year? If we were at, I don't know, 14, bil- uh, 14 million last year, where do you expect it to be this year for the industry? Well, we- we definitely see it increasing this year. I think you know a lot of it depends on where everybody's at with their semiconductors, but we'll see an improved year. Uh, and you know, as we uh, get through this first quarter, I think we'll be able to you know have a better estimate of what the full year will be. For General Motors, we see um, we see substantial growth. And I know you outlined yesterday, you guys are expecting 20, maybe 20, 25 percent growth in North America in terms of sales as you ramp up production. Mary, thank you very much. I know it's a challenging day in terms of the weather here in the Midwest, and that's why you're in New York today. Mary Barra, the chairman and CEO of General Motors. Guys, I'll send it back to you. You see shares of General Motors moving higher in large part because of the outlook that they gave, not only for the internal combustion engine business for 2022, but also for pulling forward their EV investments. Guys, back to you. Uh, Phil, our thanks to you for bringing us that. Uh, there's so much going on in autos. Uh, Jim Ward's uh, annualized sales in January, almost a one-year high. Ford's doubling down on EV, that announcement yesterday. That was interesting. That announcement came prematurely. It was not from Farley. They broke the story, to Farley being the CEO. Uh, but they're actually kind of running a two-track in that if you want to work there, I think that you're going to want to go EV. They do have a considerable internal combustion engine group. So, I mean, it really may be we'll have a Tesla group and we'll have an ICE group. I know that Jim wants to spend much more time talking about it, but they have a lot of cash. They can pull it off. You also asked about cruise and we, with yeah. Mary a bit, because, you know, I don't want to forget about autonomous. Sometimes we, for right, or rightly so, perhaps, are very focused on electric, but autonomous is still coming along, well, albeit it, much more slowly than we might have anticipated a number of years ago. Yes. And they are now offering taxi rides. And robo-taxis. And, and getting $1.35 billion from SoftBank into Cruise as a result of the, from the Vision Fund yes. as a result of reaching that milestone. But I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because if you wanted to talk about something that is deflationary, it's autonomous driving. I know that there was a dispute at GM about whether to focus on ro- robo-taxis or focus on consumer but obviously, robo-taxi would produce a huge number of people who could work at other jobs. Anything delivery, anything DoorDash, because it does cost a lot less to be able to do uh, one of those. So many uh, scientific challenges. Tesla's rolling out an update to their beta today on this rolling stop concern, right? You go to a stop sign, do you slow down or come to a complete stop? It's, they're still working on that. Well, and they don't really, they still not, you don't want to ride one of those in, in, uh, on black ice days. Because it can't detect black ice. It doesn't have that ability yet. Neither, neither can people. No, I know. But well, you got to be better than people because if you have one injury with autonomous, it's in every single paper. And yet how many people die of car accidents, especially with drivers who are impaired? GM, not the only company with a strong guide this morning. We're going to talk about AMD after the break, surging on these upbeat results and guidance. We'll talk to CEO Lisa Su, shares up almost 11.5%, along with Starbucks and PayPal and Match. Don't go away. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Well, AMD shares putting on a huge show today. The company beating estimates, forecasting 2022 uh, sales growth of a really pretty astounding 31%. CEO Lisa Su joins us now, first in CBC. You know, I've got to start with congratulations, Lisa, because it is that great a quarter. Thank you so much, Jim. It's great to be here with you guys this morning. Okay, so let's go over what I see to be share take and growth. Uh, This data center market is just insane, and I know that you're doing fantastic in that CPU and notebooks. I have to argue that notebooks, you are beginning to take a dramatic amount of share from really big nameplate companies. Why is that occurring? Well, uh, look, Jim, I think it was a, um, a great 2021, so uh, we're very pleased with the results. You know, we grew the company over 68%, and, you know, we really grew in every business. So, you know, leading with the data center, I mean, data center is a great market. You and I have talked about that before. Uh, but, yeah, we have made great progress in gaming, you know, with um, our, uh, you know, top game console uh, customers, as well as um, in PCs and, and notebooks. And, you know, the key for us has been, you know, really a you know, long-term vision on you know, building products and, and really working closely with our uh, customers and, and great platforms. So we're very excited about the growth. Well, I want to talk about that last point. I'm glad you mentioned it because I know that you have historically, uh, historically deferred talking directly about a big competitor, Intel. But you do talk about the notion of relationships. I thought a lot of people believed that this was just whoever had the best chip at the moment wins. From reading through your conference calls, particularly this one, it's whoever has the best long-term relationship with Megatech or with uh, any of these PC companies. Now, this wasn't always the case, Lisa. It was, well, we're taking Intel. What kind of relationship building have you done that now it's really hard to, once you're in, to get you out? Yeah, when you look at, you know, sort of the the largest, um, whether the largest hyperscalers in the world or, you know, the largest consumer companies or PC companies, I think what has been really important for us is, you know, building uh, really a a long-term, you know, sort of traction around execution. So uh, roadmaps, executing on our products, uh, really working together to build better products. So this whole um, idea of co-engineering because, you know, we all need more compute out there. And um, the key is how do we put, you know, make one plus one, you know, greater than three. And um, that's what we really work on with our customers. Um, you know, it has been a great market backdrop for tech. No, no question about it. But within that, um, I think the, uh, the partnership with our customers, the um, execution of the products and, uh, you know, just being able to deliver um, on, on the supply as well, just given, you know, how much demand there has been out there. You know, all of those aspects are key uh, to be able to, you know, grow significantly above the market. Okay, well, at least when I met you, the stock was at five. 
and your balance sheet was so horrendous that I said, I don't know whether your company's worth talking about in the same sentence as Intel because you owe so much money. Well, now it seems like you're spewing cash to the point where last night the CFO says that you bought $1 billion worth of stock this quarter. Now, the stock did trade down at 100. You are buying Xilinx. You just decided that it was just, in retrospect, well, brilliant move, but it just was ridiculous that stock was being given away at 100. Well, you know, I, I think overall, Jim, we've had a, um, a real focus on, you know, the business execution, the product execution, and, you know, the overall balance sheet execution. So uh, we are, um, you know, happy that, uh, you know, our balance sheet is very strong. I think the, the whole idea is to make sure that we have a, a very balanced strategy. So our first priority is always invest in the business, you know, invest in R&D. We're working on, you know, the roadmap for the next three to five years. Um, but we're also happy that we can uh, return some capital to our shareholders. And, you know, we view this as, you know, just what, um, what you need to do to run a, a very strong business. Now, I know you can't talk directly about what's going to happen when you uh, finally get approval of Xilinx, but there was some heartening news that you signed a deal with Nokia, which tells me I've always wanted you in telco. If you can get into that side of telco, fantastic, get 5G, fantastic. Obviously, auto mentioned something that you're doing. If I look at the, uh, the mosaic of AMD three years from now, what would you like it to look like? Yeah, you know, th- thank you for, you know, really the, the overall, um, you know, if we look at our long-term strategy, first of all, we're thrilled um, about uh, the progress we've made with Xilinx. Um, you know, getting, um, you know, SAMR approval last week was a very important, um, you know, piece. Uh, we believe that we will close the transaction uh, this quarter as we finish up the last regulatory approvals. But long-term, what it gives us is just a great diversification of businesses. You know, it's always been, you know, sort of our strategy at AMD to take our, you know, sort of great IP in, um, you know, computing, both on the on the graphic side and on the, on the CPU side, and really diversify into all of the markets that require high-performance computing. So, you know, we love the data center market. I mean, it's so strategic. If you talk about secular growth, I mean, this is the best place to be. Um, you know, we also love the PC market, but now we have the opportunity to really diversify into uh, telco, um, communications um, across 5G, as well as um, industrial, as well as automotive. And so what you're going to see for AMD, you know, really a few years from now is we are the high performance computing leader that's really in um, all of the um, secular growth markets. And, you know, that will give us a a long term growth trajectory that's as exciting as our short term uh, trajectory in in 2022. Hey, Lisa, it's David. Uh, Back to short term for a second. Xilinx during their quarter said, you know, they were unable to fully satisfy customer needs as a result of supply chain issues. You're spending about a billion dollars, or you did already, in terms of long-term supply chain capacity. Are you going to be able to help Xilinx catch up? Well, David, there's no question that, you know, the last uh, 12 to 15 months in semiconductors has been all about, um, you know, securing supply, building the right long-term relationships. And, you know, what, um, what we've been focused on is really not just the near term. I mean, obviously, we're trying to get um, you know, improvements in, in supply each quarter. But really, how do we build the trajectory from, you know, 2022 through 2025? And so the, um, the discussions with our supply chain partners across all aspects of the supply chain are really uh, targeted at, you know, very ambitious growth goals. Um, we're excited about Xilinx. Um, I think their business has done very well. You've seen it in some of their numbers. And um, I think there's going to be lots of synergies as we come together in all aspects of um, the business, including supply chain. Well, I've got to tell you, Lisa, a remarkable job. And what I'm really looking forward to is a much more in-depth discussion of what you've done 
at AMD for our investment club on Friday. You're our special guest. Uh, it's our second meeting, and I thank you so much for coming on the show and can't wait to talk to you about all the success you've had uh, for shareholders and for your team on Friday at 1230. Great to see you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, guys. Meantime, the opening bell is a few moments away. We're going to be talking to Starbucks' Kevin Johnson in a bit on their quarter, the cost pressures, and some of the comps in China that have those shares under pressure again on an earnings print. Don't go anywhere. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Let's get to a mad dash as we count you down to the opening bell about two and a half minutes from now. PayPal is going to be a feature today, not for the same reason as AMD or Alphabet, which are both up nicely after earnings and that big stock split, but because it is so disappointing. Sure. Net new uh, users, uh, their forecast, Jim, um, net new active users, to be specific, far below what people had anticipated. 50 going down to 15, maybe 50 million, but now 50 million, 29, I just want to say is you know me for a long time. Yes. Uh, my Chapel Trust owns Alphabet, and I'm thrilled. Chapel Trust owns AMD, and I'm thrilled. My Chapel Trust owns PayPal, and I am embarrassed beyond belief. I had an interview with, with Dan Schulman, the CEO, at the end of November. Things sounded better than people thought. Uh, did I ask the toughest questions? I don't know. I thought I did. Uh, did I see this coming? Absolutely not. Uh, did I know that they were going to actually pivot and start worrying more about the average revenue per user? No. Did I think that they would go from 750 million as a long-term goal to 600? No. Did I get this wrong? I'd say 100% wrong. Is it on me or on Dan? The way I've learned all my life is it doesn't matter about Dan. It's on me. He didn't buy it. I bought it. So what I want to say is the guy down was very surprised when Bill's just dispassionate. Yep. So now you have to try to figure out what to value at. Some people think it's going to earn 450. The reason why it's sinking the way it is is people don't know what the multiple should be because the credibility of the company's so shot. So maybe give it 20. Now the stock has been going down, down, down. The sellers obviously have no level that they won't sell because what's going on at major investment houses is this. Right. Get that damn thing off my sheets. I never want to hear about PayPal again. Their credibility is done. The stock's in half. They didn't tell us how slow things are. It's a disgrace. And that's what's happening all over right now. What are we doing for the charitable trust? Well, I'm not going to sell it down here at, the, at these prices. I think they can earn 450 It deserves a 25 multiple. But what matters for people is, is that I, did, I thought rigorous work here. I thought I did everything I could, and I screwed up. All right, well... 
you own it. Um, and of course, if anybody owns PayPal, they're going to be in some pain today. There may be a larger takeaway call for the consumer, which you could probably talk about. We as certainly well. didn't hear that from Visa or no, MasterCard. No, we didn't. Or Amex. MasterCard in particular, or Amex said great but things. Maybe, Jim, is it that they were going after a lower quality customer it to a certain extent like that? that that it, you know that is not benefiting it any longer from uh, from government stimulus and they things of that, that nature, or from that. users who were gaming the system to take they advantage said, of it. They uh, said that. Yep. I know that they were offering uh, five dollar uh, promotes to be able to see who was real. Uh, but I think what really matters is I think Dan Schulman is an honorable man. I went over the the interview word by word. I don't know about uh, about ten times. I was up very late on this because I was so dis- so discouraged. You, know, you have a day like we have Alphabet, you have UPS, and you go home and your wife wants to know what's the matter, and she says, have a drink. I said, no, it's, it's well beyond having a drink. Uh, multiple downgrades. It is a disaster. But is it PayPal specific or is there any larger takeaway? Nobody I mean, cares. Carl mentioned Nobody Visa, cares. MasterCard, Amex have all been strong, but consumer spending since P- you know, October has come down, right? right? Um, well, you know, inflation concerns. People now seem to be spending a lot more on things like travel, perhaps, than on right, goods. Not, yes, um, have been goods. I mean, uh, uh, Google said searches up sixfold for travel. For travel. Now, uh, Dan, if Dan were here, he'd say, what are you talking about? We had a great year in 2021. We're adding a huge number of people. We've got the best buy now, pay later. We've got much more than everybody else. We've got a great wallet. Kramer, you're out of your mind. But you see, I'm not out of my mind because there's a chart on our screen. And that chart on the screen says that Dan is, Dan Schulman does not realize the depths of which people were believing in him and have felt let down. Now, at down 40, was it des- deserve that after being down at being 300? No, but there's a level of anger that people can't stand. And this is about anger. But uh, I, I still wonder, I want to be dispassionate. You don't no, think it's, it's reflective of any sort of a slowdown at all in the growth of e-commerce or anything no. like that? No, I believe because then I, there could be a read through even for Amazon's numbers. I no, there could be, but I don't. I think Dan's going to he reiterates going back to twenty percent growth. He does talk about the next quarter's not good. It could be fifteen percent. I don't even know if they can do that. Uh, they have the separation from eBay. It has been a nightmare. eBay has, has been much more of an impact than perhaps they let us to believe. No, but well, or perhaps they didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I didn't like was they did not seem to have any sense in the call that what happened in 2021 was really kind of irrelevant. They think it's relevant. And that the forecast was not such a departure from what we expected. So it would have been, I think, better had Dan Schulman said, I'm sorry we let you down. Now, now CEOs are, are afraid to do that, Carl. But he's not a regular CEO. You're saying they didn't they just didn't soften the market up for something like this. No. Um, and, and the lack of, of we should relief. take a, Jim, you want to, we should take a listen to what Shulman did have to say. Sure was very to, bullish. Just to take a listen to uh, to the conference call from PayPal. Supply chain issues disproportionately impacted our cross-border volumes and our small business merchants. Inflationary pressures impacted spending within certain segments of our user base. Rising threats from COVID variants cut travel and event bookings, and the elimination of government stimulus had an impact as well. E-commerce growth rates during the holiday season were lower than industry expectations, despite a strong two-year growth rate of almost 50%. 
And we are also lapping some of the strongest quarters of growth in our history. Doesn't sound so good for e-commerce. MasterCard disagreed when it came to cross-border. American Express disagreed when it came to small, medium-sized business. Visa disagreed when you talk about travel. Uh, tra- Google, Alphabet disagreed when you talk about travel. Uh, there has been no indication so far that we're seeing any dramatic uh, fall-off in consumer spend uh, during this period. Against all that is a company that does have a lot of different, you know, many, many users, and they do have a, a breach of things. But supply chain and inflation, we're going to speak to a man very shortly oh, yeah. who had to deal with supply chain uh, issues, Kevin Johnson, two price increases, a third coming, and no degradation of top line. So I have to look now. Maybe you could say, Jim, turn the take the hair suit off. No, I mean I went over. I've gone over every single line, and I just don't. It just doesn't add up. Well, really quick, just a quick bridge to the macro because ADP was down 300k uh, for the month. Real earnings are negative. Stimulus is not happening this year the way it happened last year. The savings rate is down. People have lost money in stocks. People have lost money in crypto. You don't think any of that matters? Well, look, it, it, it does matter. And I saw Dan on November 3rd, you know, at the end of the month, and that was before Omicron. Uh, I think that the, let's say these matter, and, and they all do matter. When you think you're going from 50 million new ads to 15 million new ads, that is a statement which just says that perhaps the kind of thing people they were adding were wrong. It has to do with the rear view. It just says basically what we were doing may not be as good as we said it was. And yes, buy now, pay later is very strong. And yes, I actually do believe to not sell it. I will n- never sell it here, these levels. But when you have someone who's willing to sell it down 40, they're willing to sell it down 50 because they're furious and they don't believe in management. I will not do that. I will not abandon Dan on the basis of three bad quarters. They say three bad quarters. I mean, come on. Well, three in a row. Well, I know that. I just said that. Well, you said three. It could be three out of the last nine. No, I just wanted to make the point. And it takes us back to the day, remember, pins and the reports and questions about yes. what uh, is see, going th- on what happened PayPal. With, yes, when I heard that, yes. that, what happened to me Never here, recovered, by the way. Can I just that. say what happened to me was I, when I heard that they weren't buying pins is when I bought it for the trust. I said, oh, good, there's no problem. And that was, see, there's words for doing like that. There's suboptimal. Called, suboptimal. Suboptimal. And when I were, if I were at my old hedge fund, uh, my uh, former well, I wife I know where you're going. would put a... Yeah. Post it on my head, which just said PYPL, and she'd make me go out and get her a soft pretzel and a Diet Coke for all the world to see. We do have an upgrade of uh, Block today at uh, JPM as they close the, the afterpay deal. Yeah, they end up having to pay less because remember, David, they bought it in stock. Yes. yes. But anyway, I got to go to. I got yeah, go to a guy. He's in. coming on, even though the stock's down. Mm-hmm. Many people can say, well, wait a second. Why didn't he duck us? And the answer is because he's a gentleman. He Higher costs continuing to weigh, weigh heavily on the profits for Starbucks. Coffee chain cutting its earnings outlook and shares moving lower this morning. Kevin, I'm going to go right to it. Um, Omicron's in the rear view win with Amir. Uh, your labor issues, look, you have lots of places that are franchised and the labor issue is not a problem. Anytime you open a new store in China, it's doing incredibly well. Even there are a lot of stores that are closed in China. You've had two, uh, two bumps in uh, cost for the consumer and there's been no resistance. A third is coming. Why shouldn't I buy Starbucks right here knowing that next quarter is going to be much better than this one? Well, Jim, I think you're hitting on the right points. I mean, the, the, the key uh, positive is that consumer demand for Starbucks is very strong. I mean, you look at, we posted a 19% growth in top line revenue. Uh, same store comp globally was up 13%. 
Uh, new stores we're opening in China are performing at the highest AUVs and return on invested capital, best in class stores. So the, from the consumer standpoint, consumer demand is very strong. You know, clearly we're navigating the, the cost headwinds of supply chain and inflation like everyone else. But, you know, certainly, you know, late in the quarter, the last three weeks in December, uh, candidly, you know, Omicron really amplified those headwinds. And so we had some cost pressures and, uh, you know, we've outlined our plan. But the good news is that consumer demand is strong and all the work that we've done over the last year to build digital customer relationships, you know, which were up 21 percent. To, uh, to, to come to market with new innovative beverages that consumers love. Over 55% of our beverage mixes are cold beverages. And I got to tip my hat to the Green Apron partners. They always rise to the occasion and create a great experience for our customers in our stores. And that's what happened this last holiday. Kevin, it seems like every single wave of uh, COVID that happens uh, after that wave subsides, your sales go up rather dramatically. How is that possible? Well, you know, we, we've tracked that. And, and uh, you know, when you look at the data, uh, you know, clearly when there's a wave or a spread of COVID, you know, that suppresses a little bit of demand. So there's just latent demand. But the fact is, is that Starbucks is a community gathering place. And, you know, here we're entering the third year of this pandemic. And what do people want to do? They want to gather again. They want to socialize. They want to feel part of a community. And so, you know, we've optimized around creating safe familiar, uh, convenient experiences for our customers. They come to our stores and they come to our drive-through. They mobile, they order on our mobile app. And, uh, you know, we want to be there to serve customers. You had the best description when we talk about supply chain problems. People are just eyes glazed over. But can you talk about the idea of delivery to your stores and how supply chain really does impact the bottom line? You know, a lot of the cost pressures we've been facing have been related to the cost of distribution and transportation. You know, it's, it's getting shipping containers uh, into ports. It's getting truck drivers to deliver to our distribution centers. But this quarter, when, when Omicron hit and, you know, you have a large number of, of people, whether it's Starbucks partners or drivers in our third party delivery organizations who, who make those daily store deliveries, when they're out sick or they've been exposed and they're isolating, you know, in uh, transportation, we had to buy a significant uh, higher level of, of store deliveries on the spot market uh, versus our normal delivery because there just weren't enough drivers uh, sort of as Omicron spread. Now, you know, typically we might we might have 10 percent of our store deliveries are on the spot market. But as Omicron hit, that went up to 30 percent and higher. And uh, the spot market is typically two to three times more expensive to get that delivery to the store. But we prioritize that. That was the right expense to make at the time because we wanted to keep creating a great experience for our customers because we know Omicron, as we all see, is now residing, is, 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 is you know, coming to an end. Our business is recovering. And after every wave of COVID, we come out strong. So we wanted to have a great customer experience. Uh, and so we ensured that those store deliveries got made as best we could and we navigated through it. Okay, so Kevin, one of the things that we, we talk about here and people don't realize is that China is basically shut. You have huge stores in the airports. I don't think people realize what zero COVID means. You can tell us. Yeah, you know, clearly uh, every market around the world, uh, you know, governments are figuring out how they want to uh, navigate this pandemic. And in China, they have a zero, zero COVID policy. 
So if they have some number of citizens in a city that test positive for COVID, they shut down the entire city for a period and they test everyone so that they can identify, you know, who has COVID and they can then quarantine those people and then they reopen the city. So there's constant waves of store closures and, and uh, you know, constraints uh, created by that. But when you look at our stores in China, you know, clearly international travel is, is really, really low right now. So our stores that are in, uh, in airports and the international travel terminals are closed. And so that's, that's weighing on comp. Stores that are in uh, office districts are, are, are much slower than they used to be. But when you look at stores that are in residential or commercial zones, they are performing very well. They're comping positive. And more importantly, when we open a new store in China, it is performing at some of the highest in unit volumes and return on invested capital of any of the prior classes of stores we've built. So we're leaning in. We're building roughly 700 net new stores a year in China. They're performing extremely well. You know, and at some point, as this pandemic uh, subsides and, and we go back to more normal cadence of living, uh, we're going to be well positioned in China. And uh, there is a long runway of growth opportunity ahead for Starbucks in that market. You know, nobody, uh, I'm, that certainly sounds right. But I do wonder, Kevin, it's David, uh, how about visibility? I mean, you say at some point they seem to have this zero COVID policy. They can keep it in place for a long time. And it's not clear that COVID is ever truly going away. So how do you get any visibility into what you're talking about? Well, I tell you, the, the indicator for me is how these, net new, these new stores are performing. We're building new stores in new, we're building stores in cities that Starbucks hasn't been before, and they're performing extremely well. Uh, the benchmark then also says when we see what's happening with stores in residential or commercial districts, they're performing extremely well. And so this is just navigating, you know, the, the global pandemic. And I, I think we're playing the long game, and we believe that's in the best interest of all stakeholders uh, relative to Starbucks in China. Kevin, a lot of the downgrades, or at least one downgrade this morning, sort of pivots around the operating margin guidance approaching 17 versus a prior 17. How does that fit with a, an improving Omicron picture? Um, if, if you think, as you say, you do well when these things recede, uh, why shouldn't that margin guidance be a little bit better? Maybe you don't think it's necessarily that material to something that would drive a downgrade. Well, Carl, if you look at sort of some of the, the factors that uh, that the, the, uh, reduce the growth on earnings per share this last quarter. You know, we still grow EPS 18%, but we have some of the industry's best benefits when it comes to uh, COVID uh, healthcare for our partners. We prioritize the safety and well-being of our partners. So our COVID isolation pay, if a partner tests positive or if they're exposed to COVID, we pay them to isolate, to self-isolate. And, and that pay, uh, COVID isolation pay, just skyrocketed in the last couple, three weeks of December. It's now subsiding as, as Omicron spread uh, you know, ends. But that, that's going to take a toll, certainly, on, uh, on earnings per share in, in our first quarter that we just announced it, and this quarter in Q2. But the back half of the year, we're going to see some very positive things. In addition, we announced last quarter a billion-dollar investment in wage and hours for our partners. So a lot of this is we're leaning in, investing in our partners, taking care of our partners, because we know when we do that, they serve customers, we grow share of customer occasions. And as we come out of this pandemic, we are in a, we're gonna be on the front foot, taking market share and accelerating growth. And so we think these are the right investments to make. Kevin, uh, it's David again. You know, when you talk about those partners, there's a very small group, but some of them who 
I guess don't think it's quite enough. What, two dozen of your almost 9,000 stores, but they are at least uh, filing for individual union elections. What's the company's approach to that? You know, we're going to keep sort of hearing about it here and there again. It is a tiny percentage, but it's something. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, we have two stores in Buffalo that have uh, have voted and been certified by the NLRB, and we're in a bargaining dialogue with those two stores. Uh, but this is not new territory for us, David. In fact, there are roughly 3,000 Starbucks stores that are embedded in grocery, airports, and hotels that uh, that have union agreements. And so, you know, we have star- examples of Starbucks that are run in, in a union model. And uh, through our licensed partners, you know, we're we're up to speed on how to do that. Um, you know, and as you point out, there's uh, you know there's 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 I think approaching 50 stores or so that have petitioned. They haven't gone through a vote or been certified. But you know, we're going to continue to always prioritize our partners, and that means we're going to listen to them. And uh, whether it's in a union store or not, and we're always going to work to do the right thing because we know when we do the right thing for our partners, they in turn do the right thing for customers, and our business thrives. Kevin, one last question. If it weren't for Omicron, if it weren't for the labor shortages, if it weren't for unions, we would be discussing what's happened at the stores. There is a desire for cold brew that has changed the complete complexion of when you do business, what hours you do business, and it happened overnight. I don't think people realize what percentage of people actually go to Starbucks for cold brew. You know, it's incredible, Jim. I think at an uh, an investor conference five years ago, we commented that in the United States, roughly 20%, 25% of our beverage mix was cold beverage. 75% was hot. And I tell you, this this younger generation, they just embrace cold brew. They're embracing nitro cold brew, uh, iced espresso beverages. And so those cold beverages now make up more than 55% of the beverage mix in the United States. And uh, that really is giving us a competitive advantage in the fact that we can personalize and customize those beverages with different cold foams and uh, in different in different you know sweet creams uh, has really made those popular beverages. And I, I you know I, I've always said the three things that we do to really drive and elevate the brand is is uh, you know continue to extend the in store experience to digital customer relationships. That number is up deliver innovative, relevant new beverages for our customers. And we've done that. We saw that at Holiday. That drove so much of the traffic into our stores. And third is invest in our partners because it's our partners that elevate that customer experience and they keep those customers coming back. And if we do those three things, we're going to continue to gain market share. We're going to continue to grow and we're going to continue to create value for all stakeholders. That I believe to be true. Kevin Johnson, total man of his word, CEO of Starbucks, comes on tough days, comes on good days. The next time, I bet you will be much, much better because they are really taking share and taking names. Kevin Johnson, always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Before we go to break, uh, let's do take a look at some of the uh, treasuries and bond markets on this morning as we've been getting a flurry of uh, Fed officials, at least in the last couple of days, walking us back, perhaps, let's say, from a 50 basis point hike. For now, though, uh, yields haven't really moved around a lot, uh, still above 177 and 114 on the two year. We'll be right back. Jim, what's on that tonight? Well, we've got a company that has uh, really just delivered after delivered, delivered, which is Thermo Fisher, Mark Casper. And then we have waste management. Stock's down badly, but boy, historically, it's been a real winner. Got some wild swings to talk about tonight. Yes, That's for do. sure. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you tonight, 6 p.m. Mad Money. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 
Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.